This episode of the Major Spoilers Podcast is brought to you by Comixology, the leading digital comics distributor. Check out the Comics by Comixology app at your nearest app store and read comics on your iPhone, your iPad, your Kindle Fire, Android device, or on the web. Buy once and read anywhere with Comixology. This week's Major Spoilers Podcast is brought to you by Kent Dwa, Daring Heineson, Nathan Hill, and Eric Trevarthen. If you weren't listening, that was just a random set of syllables, but feel free to chip in because this one goes out to them. The Major Spoilers podcast covers news, reviews, and of course, spoilers, and goes into details about the topics discussed. So if you haven't read, listened, or watched the items we talk about, you might want to come back later. I'm Matthew. I'm Rodrigo. And I'm Steven, and you're listening to the Major Spoilers podcast, the podcast for pop culture and comic fans. In this issue... Who is but the form following the function of what? And what I am is a man on the internet. On this most auspicious of nights, permit me then, in lieu of a more commonplace sobriquet, to suggest the character of this dramatis persona. While I, in view, a humble vaudevillian veteran cast vicariously as both victim and villain by the vicissitudes of fate, this visage, no mere veneer of vanity, is a vestige of the Vox Populi, now vacant, vanished. However, this valorous visitation of a bygone vexation stands vivified and has vowed to vanquish those venal and virulent vermin vanguarding vice and vouchsafing the violently vicious and voracious volition of violation. The only verdict is vengeance, a vendetta held as a votive not in vain for the value and veracity of such one day vindicates the vigilant and the virtuous. Verily, this vichyssois verbiage veers most verbose, so let me simply add that it's my very good honor to meet you, and you may call me Dork. The Vager Voilers Vodcast is Von the Ver. I like rabbits. Hey everyone, welcome to the Major Spoilers Podcast. So glad that you could join us for this issue number 376, Yay! brought to you by Comixology. So glad to have them as a sponsor for the next couple of episodes. Go over to their website, comixology.com, or if you've got the uh, one of those mobile devices, you can download the app for free and read digital comics. So glad to have them there. There's Matthew over there. There's Rodrigo way over there. Hi, Rodrigo. Hello. Hello. Hi there. I am broadcasting live from inside a snake, apparently. (laughs) Whereas I broadcast from the bowels of a sperm whale. (laughs) God, get it out! (laughs) All right, let's get to some news. Really, there's only two ways we can go with this. We can... Either talk about DC canceling six, ordering six, reassigning Rob Liefeld, and changing its logo, or we could talk about Avengers versus X Men. Let's spin that two sided wheel and see what happens. I'm going to flip the coin of destiny. There it lands. Bing. There it lands right there on DC cancels six titles, orders six new titles, reassigns Rob Liefeld, and changes the company logo, which, depending on uh, the rumor that we heard, may be released today announced today officially, um, depending on when you're listening to this episode. So there were six titles out of the DC's new 52 that were canceled. Those titles are uh, Blackhawks, Hawk and Dove, Men of War, Mr. Terrific, OMAC, and Static Shock. Of those six, the really only one that I'm kind of sad is being canceled is Static Shock. It was the second lowest uh, Mm -hmm. seller in December, selling only 15,700 copies. Uh, Matthew, I think you said, weren't you sad to see OMAC go? I am sad, but not surprised to see OMAC go. I'm surprised to see Static Shock go, but 
I had a discussion with uh, Chris, the counterman, this weekend at Gatekeeper, and mm-hmm. Chris pointed out something that I hadn't really thought about. Okay. You know, being a, a voracious absorber of comic books, right. sometimes I don't look at it as this is really great and this is I can't afford it. Mm-hmm. Chris, you know, said he read the first four issues of Static Shock and wanted to love it, but just kind of found it to be kind of average fare so, yeah, for him. It's a little slow. And he couldn't afford to keep buying it. Yeah. And even at two ninety nine, that's kind of a... Yeah. Uh, a lot to ask, but we look. I mean, Static Shock and, and even OMAC. OMAC started at thirty three thousand five hundred copies sold in September when it launched. Fell all the way down to sixteen thousand five hundred, just a little over that. Uh, sold in December. Um, Rodrigo, any of these titles that you're kind of sad to see disappear? Um, not particularly. These, none of these are um, Animal Man, which is kind of the only <laughs> DC title that I'm interested oh, yeah. in anymore. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um. So I'm glad that that didn't get chopped yet. Um, well, I think you know, as a, as far as properties, you know, I'm a little sad to see Static Shock and OMAC and Mr. Terrific go. But um, I don't know about OMAC, but from what I saw of Static and Mr. Terrific, there the the stories themselves were a little lackluster. Mm. Yeah. Well, here's the good thing: the titles may be disappearing, but we've been told that the characters will appear you know, throughout the DC universe. It's not like they're killing off the title or the character and you'll never hear from them again. Uh, Unlike what was it? What are the other uh, characters in Static's universe? The milestone characters. The milestone characters who they said were going to be brought into the universe and we've never heard from them again. The thing about the milestone characters was it they got milestone thunder agents and uh, licensed the Archie heroes. Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah. And there was just way too much going on. I think that, the the Plus major the wild part of this, guys are still kicking around. Yeah, I I, I mentioned uh, in my retro review on Sunday how my boss says put out comics that somebody's actually going to buy. Mm-hmm. He called four of these week one. Yeah, we had fifty two, and he called him, and he's like, "Omac ain't going to last ten issues." Mm-hmm. And I'm like, "No, no, no." He's like, "Static ain't going to last ten issues." He called Static, Omac, Man of War, and Hawk and Dove, and he said Hawk and Dove wouldn't go six. I I you know I. Yeah, all I'm of these. Amazed the man's acumen, quite frankly. Yeah, all of these are going at, uh, to eight issues. Um, yep. I kind of saw Mister Terrific after that first issue as one that I wasn't interested in reading anymore. Uh, I've only read the first issue of Minute War. Blackhawks actually read the first three issues, and that was really, uh, you know, kind of interesting. Static Shock read those first three, liked those a lot. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, a lot of these you could see coming. And when. The first initial rankings came out. Those are the ones that were towards the bottom of the list. Now, DC is still all excited about having 52 new titles in their Mm -hmm. lineup. And so while they've canceled six, they have ordered six new titles. And some of these, we kind of knew that they were coming. Batman Incorporated, we knew was coming back in 2012. Of course, Mm -hmm. this will be uh, Grant Morrison and Chris Burnham on this title. Uh, We also have Dial H for Hero. It's simply going to be called Dial H. Uh, It's going to be written by, and I don't know how to pronounce this uh, person's name, uh, China uh, Melville or Mealville. Mayaville. Mayaville. So we get to see, I I don't know if this is going to be Robbie uh, Roberts coming back or who. Uh, we've got Reed. Robbie Reed. Coming Robbie back. Roberts was the lead singer of the band, I believe. <laughs> well, he might be coming back too. You just have to and dial, the, dial the numbers Kennedy's right. Bobby Kennedy's gonna be there. Bobby and... um, you've got like GI Combat. GI Combat, which is replacing um, Minute War, and it's basically yeah. gonna include the War That Time Forgot and Unknown Soldier and some of those time. It's written by JT Krull. Tank. JT Krull. And he's the one that did the uh, whole. Uh, 
everything. Yeah, the, the rise of Arsenal. Yes, the rise of our uh, the end of the Teen Titans. Basically, yes. If it, if it, if it horrified me from DC in the last six years, it probably has JT Cruel in it. The Ravagers by uh, Howard Mackey and Ian Churchill. That'll be a spin out from Teen Titans and Superboy. That's that 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 that's horrifying. That's weird. Why is that? It's 1996 again. Howard Mackey. I I haven't heard that name since Ghost Rider from Marvel during the big uh, bang of 93-95. That's, ooh. ooh. And then the two that I'm kind of excited about, one we already knew was going to be the uh, JSA, but it's not going to be called Justice Society of America. It's going to be called Earth 2. We knew it was mm-hmm. taking place in Earth 2. That's James Robinson and Nicola Scott, or Nicola Scott. And then the Nicola. other one that was announced was uh, World's Finest, <clears throat> but not starring Batman and Superman, instead starring Huntress and Power Girl, as they struggle to find their way back to Earth 2. This will be written by Paul Levitz with George Perez and Kevin McGuire doing the art on that. Holy crap. You like That's that? A, not together, I hope. Well, I don't know. No, alter, my, alternating arcs. My brain might explode. Why, too awesome? If, if, too much awesome in one issue? If George Perez were inking Kevin McGuire, my brain might explode. If Kevin McGuire inked George Perez, we're all going to die. I mean, that's... <laughs> It's going to be that's too like awesome. That's concentrated, super whack awesome. Right well, there. that's what they have. They have listed as artists, George Perez and Kevin Maguire. I think Maguire said on his Twitter feed that they're going to be alternating artists. Oh, okay. But In either case, I, still pretty awesome. I'm worried. Why is that? Because they uh, the, the use of the name Earth 2 right. worries me that we're... we're and again, this is not a worry of, I don't think this is going to be awesome. This is probably one of those meta worries that I shouldn't worry about, that we're already watering down the concept of the new universe by introducing an alternate Earth, if indeed that's what this is. Because honestly, well, it is using an alternate that Earth. Earth 2 name could be a giant swerve. No, we know it isn't. We know that it is a, a different universe, because it says in the uh, solicitation for uh, World's Finest... Um, Let's see. From a parallel reality, Huntress and Power Girl struggle to find their way back to Earth 2. Earth 2, uh, the greatest heroes on a parallel Earth, ju- the Justice Society, combat threats that will set them on a collision course with other worlds. <coughs> so it is parallel. And then Quinn worlds. Mallory builds this TV remote. <laughs> and they have to slide through time with the help of Gimli and the girl from Sports Night. But I'm I'm worried that... Eight months into this, that introducing Earth 2, well, first of all, what's going to happen when Earth 2 comes out? And I'm now going to, uh, yeah, I am now going to be the voice of the population. Oh, no, it's their big reset button. I feel like at this point in the game, introducing the existence of an alternate Earth kind of, I think, kind of tips you towards thinking, remember 1961. 1961, the middle of the Silver Age, and they went, oh, by the way, Earth 2 exists, and all these Mm -hmm. books that you used to read about these other characters, they still exist on this alternate Earth, which I think is kind of dangerous at this stage of DC's, you know, master plan. It could be, but, you know, there's nothing that says the Earth 2 is the old DC universe, so I don't think people are going to get their hopes up too much going, oh, here's their out or anything like this. Um, This is a new, I I think this is likely a new Earth 2. There's, I think that the the concept of an alternate dimension is a, is a good idea because mm-hmm. what's the point of a JSA when you have the JLA i mean the yeah. the silver and bronze age heroes are and and 
the few that have made it through the golden age to be in the JLA are too big and too powerful. And the JSA is just not that impressive. If you put them on their right. own universe, then they right. get to do their thing. They get to be the big heroes. People get to read about um, Dr. Fate. Mm-hmm. And they don't Pretty have to good. be like, oh, by the way, and Superman's punching meteors in space. That's why he's not super breath freezing everyone right now. Right. And plus, right. on the other but hand, I mean, too, Matthew, you get those great uh, crossovers like uh, you used to love where it used to be JSA and JLA teaming up together. I did used to love those. But I think that... It, it's kind of opening a box because no matter how carefully they control this now, mm-hmm. how long did it take the original DC universe to go from, oh, by the way, the heroes are on Earth 2 to an infinite multiverse that nobody understood that they actually had to underwrite? I mean, well, the one thing we years. do one thing we do know, if they do bring back the multiverse, if they follow what they did in 52, is Why that there they? are 52 universes. Universe. Well, that's true. But all of this could be taking place in, you know, 52 different worlds. And that would keep things a little bit more. I mean, we don't know where Shazam is going to show up. so much worse. No, 52. <laughs> if you say 52 worlds, you might as well say 100,000 worlds. Yeah. And if you say 52 worlds, you might as well say everything we're doing here is not new and different. It's just yeah. another alternate universe version of what we've been doing. Well, there- and... and- Granted, the the DC uh, relaunch has done a lot of keeping things that they feel work and getting rid of things that they feel don't work. But um, I think that announcing a, a 52 dimensions at this point in the game would probably have a outcry or perhaps more oh, likely sure. groan from the uh, yeah from that would membership. be. That would be business as usual yeah. at a point where they've actually been pretty good about avoiding a whole lot of business as usual. Well, Not speaking all of, it, of uh, good and bad kind of delivered at the same time, people have been like since the uh, ending of Hawk and Dove, yay, that serves Rob Liefeld right. Well, guess what? Uh, beginning with the ninth issue, Rob Liefeld will be writing an illustrated Deathstroke, plotting the Savage Hawkman, and also mm-hmm. plotting Grifter for DC Comics. More mm-hmm. power to him. Yeah, yep. you know this you is right the thing. Now. You know, I I know he, the guy gets a lot of crap from a lot of people, um, mm-hmm. but you know I've been kind of reading some of his comments and some of the statements that he's he's put out over the last six months, and the guy simply doesn't care. He just keeps doing he what doesn't. he's doing, and the guy's because... a phenomenal success. He's the guy that owns the original Conan sword. He's made so much money off of being Rob Liefeld, the artist. He can do whatever the heck he wants, and he takes well, that in stride. Here's something else you have to think about. Only Nixon could go to China. Only Rob Liefeld, who took so much crap in the 90s. And don't get me wrong, I don't enjoy his art. I don't necessarily like many of his characters. But only Rob Liefeld carries that kind of cachet. I mean, Mm -hmm. who who else has that kind of buzz behind them? Jim Lee, Jeff Johns. I mean, there aren't many guys who have the the, The the, the sheer wha-blam. Oh, yeah. Of saying Rob Liefeld is on my comic book. Mark Miller tries very hard to polarize his audience and and but doesn't get up to Liefeld levels. Yeah. And he does it effortlessly. And you know what? Mm -hmm. I will say this. I'm going to go out on a limb here. I'm not necessarily going to defend Rob because I don't, first of all, know anything about him to defend him. But I'll tell you this. He's not the 23-year-old giant swinging dick in 1991 who said some of the things that people are still mad about Rob Liefeld saying. 
Rob Liefeld is 20 years down the line. The last few projects I remember him being involved in have not been one issue and then crapped off the end of the earth. Right. He's actually been putting out work. He's been putting, you know, actual stuff on the page like feet and ankles. Mm -hmm. And at least, you know, there are now three Rob Liefeld male faces and three Rob Liefeld <laughs> female faces. He's willing to let other people write his properties because he knows he's not the greatest writer. Right. He is willing to go and say, you know, hey, somebody has this this like this infinite thing. Somebody has an idea. We're going to put this together and we're mm -hmm. going to market the whole thing and say Rob Liefeld. And people, some people love the man's art. Oh, yeah. There was there. I was following on Twitter after this announcement. I follow Rob. And uh, somebody had wrote to him and said, hey, even though you're just plotting uh, Grifter, are you going to be doing any covers for it? And he was like, yeah. And the reply was, oh, I cannot wait to grab those issues. So it's like yeah. people love his art, really love his style, and more power to him. Yep. Rob Liefeld can move books. Yep. And he can move books in an era when there aren't a lot of names. Yep. You know, contemporary names that can move books. John Byrne no longer moves books the way Rob Liefeld does. Mm -hmm. Finally, in this uh, new story all about DC, we've got a new la uh, logo might be uh, revealed this week. <laughs> Have you guys taken a look at this uh, new logo? Uh, yeah, DC filed, uh, actually it was DC Entertainment, filed this with the Patent and Trademark Office, uh, and it mm -hmm. looks like the letter D being peeled back to reveal the letter C underneath. It's only in black and white right now because uh, apparently when you file for your patent and trademark, you need to do it in black and white so that you can add any color to it later that you want. Well, I think if you file in color, then you've patented that right. trademark, that color. Right. But um, I, I don't from, hate it. I, you know, I, I, I think I saw this either Friday night or Saturday morning. I forget when. Uh, but it took me a little while. At first, I was like, well, I'm not sure that... This is really great. But then over the weekend, it really kind of grew on me. Mm -hmm. And I kind of like it, especially if we see it animated. And a lot of people have said, well, for print publications, this may not look really great uh, as is. I think once we see some color in it, it'll, it'll look good. Um, this was uh, kind of dropped onto DC by their president. Um, now I forgot her name, who was brought in. She's the head, yeah, she's the head, not, head of uh, DC Entertainment. And some of the initial re reactions from people at DC may be very hesitant on the logo. What are your guys' thoughts on the logo? I like it better than the swirly. Really? I do. I don't like the font that they use for the D and the C in the, in the swirly because mm -hmm. the C doesn't look like a C. But something that I look at it and go, well, do I hate it? No, I don't. It's not, God help us, it's not Comic Sans. It's actually a Gotham font, which yes, I think is, is, is a brilliant yes. meta statement on somebody's part. Somewhere there's a graphic designer who is like, ha, that was awesome. Mm. You know, that, that, that one guy, I, I, if, if I knew who he was, he would never buy a cheeseburger for himself again. <laughs> let's put it that way. But for me, I think the most funny portion of this whole thing and God love us, we are all fans, and there, there, there are nerdy moments. And don't get me wrong, I, I have nerdy moments too. The fans who say, I don't like it, 
they shouldn't do it. And I'm like, well, what? When did when did it seem like we got a vote? Right. At what point did they ask us? This is hey, this is this logo we spent a hundred grand on that we're going to be using on our publications. Oh, you don't like it? <laughs> that sucks to be you. Yeah, well, the one thing that um, may have been something to help push this along is they did lose a, uh, a suit a few years ago. An yeah, infringement a lawsuit. Suit with that, yep. uh, what is it, uh, DC, DC shoes. shoes? Yeah. yeah, and so they were paying DC Shoes, uh, I don't know how much money, but they were paying them money so that they could use that swirly logo. Well, well the problem uh, I think they this had is, was... You know what, What's that? They started it. They sued yeah, yeah. DC for infringement. Yeah. And then DC was like, uh, no, we had it first, and you forgot to license yours, Jack. Right, Williams. right. So pony up. It, uh, the it one thing that'll be interesting, thing. the one thing that'll be interesting in this is if, like on our iPads or iPhones or whatever, if we're accessing that DC app that Comixology puts out, is if it has the D, and then you click on that, and as you pull it away, it peels away to reveal the C before it launches the app. That would actually be pretty cool. Yeah. It's it's more, I don't want to say grown-up necessarily, but it, it is. feels it's a mature, more dignified. It's a mature, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it, it feels it also more has like a, a corporate logo than the, yes. than the swirly, which feels like you know something that you'd write on your notebook if you were 17. And it also... To me, when I look at it, it feels more like a publishing logo. Yeah. Rodrigo, any other thoughts? Um, somebody, well, I had, basically I had two two thoughts when I saw it. First off, um, I thought to myself, it's like I'm trying to open some yogurt and somebody had stuck a C underneath <laughs> the, the tab. Um, and second, the, the the second thing I thought when I saw it, which somebody on the side brought up, uh, Wintermute, is that it reminds me of the Deke logo, the DIC yes, animation the Deke logo oh. from from mm -hmm. the eighties and nineties from the yeah. end of Inspector It also Gadget. looks like the Discovery Channel logo a little bit, but it's from an opposite end that they're peeling away. So, um, well, and there's only so much you can do with letters. I think I think that it's what what this accomplishes. Is, what, what this logo accomplishes is for you to look at it and say, oh, yeah, I can see a D and a C. That's clever. But that's about all it's got going for it in my book. I It's not that I don't like it. I think that it's problematic because you need that peel away D and a C, but then you also need something that says DC Entertainment underneath. Otherwise, people might mm -hmm. not get what you're looking at. Fork.com has some super high-res versions of these uh, up, and it does look a lot better when you see it in the bigger version because that D mm -hmm. is shaded just a little bit better to make it look mm -hmm. from the peel. I hope that they do announce this this week, today, in fact, when you're listening to this podcast, uh, because I, I really want to see what this thing looks like in color. You know what it looks like? What's that? This in color. Uh. <laughs> yeah. Okay, everybody. You can head over to Majorspoilers.com. I've put the links to all these stories there in the show notes. You can check that out. Or if you've been over to Major Spoilers, you know where all the news is. It happens every day, every hour right there on the site. You can also head over to the site and you can check out some other cool things, such as the Clockwork Storybook 30-Day Writing Challenge, which is going on. We've been seeing a lot of Mark Finn stuff uh, the, these last, what, 12, 15 days. We're going to be seeing some of the other writers who are participating in the challenge offer up their stuff. And I know some of you out there who are listening have actually taken the time to read these chapters, especially Mark's uh, Condork's uh, One in a Million uh, book, and are really getting a kick out of it. 
if you're also dork yeah if you're also over there at the site or if you're on iTunes you can check out one of our other podcasts top five the most recent episode top five cartoon theme songs with uh, Rob from Critical Hit there will be a brand new top five next week uh, the top five fictional weapons so you'll want to download those and check those out if you were wondering what Matthew was talking about about uh, stocking the back issues with titles that would sell you'll want to go and read his retro review of masters of kung fu master master of kung fu sorry master of kung fu and you'll also want to a lot of people are getting a kick out of a new feature that we've started at the first of the year the major spoilers staff picks every tuesday you can log on to the site and find out what the staff is looking forward to in the next week coming out from the various uh, publishers this week it looks like the big issue everybody is ready uh, for or looking for is the fifth issue of Batman from Scott Snyder and Greg Capullo um, as we find out what's going on with the Court of Owls. Also, Chew is on that list. Daredevil's <laughs> on that list. Ghostbusters is on the list. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles is on the list. So the list goes on and on and on. You can head over to Majorspoilers.com and find all that stuff and more. You know the website, Majorspoilers.com. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, Reviews. How to get a major spoilers shout out. If you want to get a personalized shout out at the top of the show, all you have to do is the following steps. Number one, visit Majorspoilers.com. Two, click on the make a donation button. Three, donate $10 or more to the cause. Four, sit back and relax and hear Matthew butcher your name and say something cute about you. Major spoilers, bringing the good stuff since 2006. Once again, thank you to everybody who contributes and donates to the site. We appreciate everyone who does that. And we also want to thank Comixology for sponsoring this episode of the Major Spoilers uh, podcast. Be sure to head over to Comixology.com and uh, check out what they have to offer. Let's get to some reviews. Reviewology! (laughs) You know, some of these titles that we review are available right now on the Comixology app. You can check it out. This is one of the things that I really like and what a lot of people are confused about with Comixology um, is that I can go on my iPad and I can buy, say, Amazing Spider-Man number uh, uh, 677, and I can read it on Mm -hmm. my iPad. And then, if I want, I can go over to my Kindle Fire and I can... Read that exact same comic. Don't have to pay for it again. I can read it on my Kindle Fire. Or I can go to the Comixology.com website, and I can read that issue there. So I can read it anywhere I have access to a Comixology app or the Comixology website. And that's one of the nice things that I think is uh, makes Comixology really a, a good place to go and check out your comics. So, And I'm not saying that nice. just because they're sponsoring the show. I'm saying that because I'm a believer in the, in the Comixology uh, in, app, and I think people know that uh, me and hopefully know me well enough that I won't accept sponsorship from something that I'm not 100% behind. So, Except for that one time that Red Wigglers offered us some. <laughs> oh, they are the Cadillac of worms, but... I mean, yeah. Yeah. And you don't even want to know about the time that Summer's Eve wanted to. Never mind. <laughs> uh, let's see. We've got, you know what? We see, talked that about... was because you're a douche. Get it? <laughs> <laughs> we've talked so much about DC, and I know people are just bouncing up and down in their seats going, you guys, all you guys talk about DC. Why don't I ever do DC? You hate let's, Marvel. Let's, let's talk DC. about some Marvel stuff. I'll start off uh, this Word week. Up. With Amazing Spider-Man number 677. Uh, usually this has been written by Dan Slott with art, r- rotating art, but usually Humberto Ramos. Uh, this uh, issue that came out last week is the first part in, I don't know, two, three, four-part uh, arc 
that features Black Cat, Spider-Man, and Daredevil. This is written by Mark Wade with art by Emma Rios. Or, yeah, Emma Rios. S.A. Rios. Uh, and, wow. Mark Wade has written Spider-Man, Amazing Spider-Man, before. Um, and he does a fantastic job. And, of course, he writes Daredevil now. He does a fantastic job of merging the Spider-Man style in with the Daredevil style and telling a really fantastic uh, story. Uh, this issue finds Black Cat being accused of a robbery at Horizon Labs, and Spider-Man knows she didn't do it because he was with her at the time that the robbery apparently took place. Uh, what was stolen was some high-tech phone, holographic uh, phone, and in order to seek uh, help out Black Cat, he enlists the aid of Daredevil. Now, one of the things people have been reading in Daredevil, which I find fi fascinating, is Matt Murdock going around going, I'm not Daredevil, I don't care what anybody says, I'm not Daredevil, I'm not Daredevil. And sure enough, Spider-Man swings right into the middle of a conversation he's having with uh, Assistant DA and is like, hey, Daredevil, I need your help. And he's like, I'm not Daredevil, who's there, who's speaking? And he's swinging his, his cane around. But then I've always wondered, you know, if you only started reading Daredevil when Mark Wade took over, you may not be aware of the whole demon possession, identity reveal, and everything. And they actually have a whole panel in the uh, in the book devoted to to this. And he's like, I didn't realize that I gave away your secret identity. What's up? And Daredevil is like, you know what? A third of the people believe that I'm Daredevil. A third of the people think it's a hoax, and a third of the people just are concerned about something else. So it really doesn't matter, although he's still pushing that he is, uh, he's not Daredevil. Um, Black Cat escapes custody from the police. Um, Spider-Man and Daredevil start to follow the clues to this uh, uh, technology that's been stolen and possibly the kidnapping of the creator of this technology who works at Horizon Labs. All ends in a nice big cliffhanger where Spider-Man and Daredevil are trapped below the sewer and Black Cat shows up in the final panel. Really good story. Really enjoyed this a lot. The one thing that I think is going to throw people and maybe disappoint people about this issue is the cover is Humberto Ramos art with the stunning black cat on the cover. Uh, the art style is quite different in the in interior. Uh, the style is more like, I don't know, Matthew, did you read this issue, 677? No, I didn't get that one. The art is, I don't know, it, it seems more like a Ditko style. Um, that's how I would kind of categorize it. It kind of has a very 60s, early 70s vibe to the to the art style itself. And I like it a lot, but it is certainly somewhat misleading when the cover's done by one artist and the interior is done by another. I know a lot of companies do that. Uh, but I found the issue a wonderful read. Cannot wait to pick up Daredevil number eight, which continues the story. And then uh, Spider-Man, Amazing Spider-Man 678, I believe, also continues this story after Daredevil. So it'll be interesting to see what happens. Really enjoyed this a lot. Really like Mark Wade on this title. Really like Emma Rios's art. Uh, I'm giving this thing four out of five stars. Really enjoyable. Go pick it up. Every time I pick up The Amazing Spider-Man, I continue to be more and more drawn into uh, the Marvel Universe. Nice. Now let's go take a look at Wikipedia today. Wikipedia, depending on uh, when you're listening, of course. Uh, January 18th, Wikipedia in the United States, or in English-speaking, the English version of Wikipedia goes down to support SOPA. <clears throat> so if you're wanting to find out... No, not every, to support it. I mean, in, in no. I'm sorry, uh, support against SOPA and PIPA. <laughs> not PIPA. Milton. So really more of a, of a protest. Yes, protest. 
Um, Supporting against is still kind of... So if you are trying to get all your Mitt Romney information from Wikipedia, there may be only one place you can turn to, and that's Blue Water Productions. <laughs> nice. That was that was mean. That was poor, poor Blue Water Productions. <laughs> Rodrigo, tell you us know, about somebody has to draw this stuff. Wikipedia is not yet illustrated. You know, a few a few uh, reviews ago when we were doing, I forget which political power one it was. Maybe it was the Obama one that you reviewed, Rodrigo. Yeah, but we that were... was, I think the last one I reviewed was Boom Studios. Uh, oh yeah, yeah, that's Obama right, Boom Studios. Comic. Yeah, Boom Studios. And we didn't know who the writer was. Mm -hmm. According to the representative at Boom Studios, not Chip Mosier because he doesn't work there anymore. According to the mm -hmm. representatives at Boom Studios, the writer had requested that his or her name be withheld because they actually yeah. had a lot of other projects going on and they were an up-and-coming writer and didn't mm -hmm. want a lot of attention drawn to themselves because of the, uh, I don't know, the quote, uh, success that this uh, Obama issue is going to have, but... Whatever. It's it's understandable. I mean, if if nothing else, these are political comics. Oh, and sure they are. This one definitely paints Romney in a in a very uh, positive light. I'm I'm reviewing Political Power Mitt Romney uh, from Blue Water Comics, and uh, yeah, I mean it's entirely positive. There's really no moment here in which it it takes any sort of negative approach to him. Um, it's a, it's pretty much by the numbers story of his life. Um, there are moments in it that I think are uh, uh, kind of comical because of the the time. If you if you just read through the issue, and they have so much to get through, there's there are things that are like just kind of weird, um, and the art is certainly very strange. Um, Mitt Romney doesn't have eyes throughout the whole thing. What? You know, he just has, he, he has like, yes, he doesn't have eyes. He just kind of has so that. Uh, it's Clive Barker's Mitt Romney. It, no, it's like, uh, if you're familiar with, um, I'm, I'm trying to think of a, of a prominent, if you're familiar with like Brock from Pokemon. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Or. Yeah, he's very um, squinty. Or like. Yeah, it, it, he's he's basically squinting the whole time, which is not a feature of Mitt Romney. I don't see Mitt Romney and think, boy, this man is squinty, which makes me think that possibly this whole issue was supposed to be uh, political power, John Kerry, and they just changed, <laughs> changed the, the, uh, the text boxes. Yeah. Um, but likely not. It's just the, the, the artist style. Um, there's a hilarious panel in which uh, Mitt Romney loses the Senate seat to Ted Kennedy, mm -hmm. and then it has what is probably Ted Kennedy making fun of him, but he kind of looks like Louis Anderson. <laughs> uh, so that's that's pretty interesting. Um, it's kind of a trip to to go through and and read this because again, it's all very positive. It just kind of name checks a lot of things. Um, doesn't leave you any, like, again, because it's, it's just a, a kind of a, and I don't want to say it's like a one-sided look at Mitt Romney because it barely discusses his politics. It doesn't talk about, you know, for example, let me see if I, uh, let me see if I can find the thing. Um, maybe not, uh. 
94 Republican primary. Um, didn't get it. Um, oh, yeah. Romney's four years as governor were marked by constant challenges on economic and social issue fronts. Taxes and health care seemed his constant companions. Now, this does not tell you mm-hmm. whether he liked either of those things, whether he was against either of those things. Just that you they know. lived with him. Yes, just that they were around. Just like uh, Lex Luthor and Lois Lane are Superman's uh, constant companions, in a, in a sense. But he has a very different relationship with each of them, un- unless you really want to read very deeply into things. Right. Uh, there's a there's an awesome picture of him being very surprised when they pick Sarah Palin yes. as uh, McCain's uh, running mate. He's all like, boo <laughs> <laughs> um that was pretty good uh what else there's there's just i'm really looking at cool this issue comments. now there's a uh, one oh there's one and i don't remember where exactly it is oh yeah he's talking it's after he gets into a fight with a uh, hip-hop artist sky blue um immediately afterward he uh is going to on into 2011 he captured a number of stroll poll victories and blah, blah, blah. If you look at that crowd, on the bottom <laughs> right, it's clearly w, George, Bush. Uh, George W. Bush. <laughs> and on the bottom left, it's clearly a sleaze tag who is, like, <laughs> dressed up like a human. <sighs> Actually, that's what's-his-name, the uh, Republican Yeah, uh, I know. It's uh, it's that, uh, that Cajun guy from... Yeah. Justin Wilson? <laughs> Which, no. People don't oh, even know who Justin Wilson is anymore. People say to me, they said, Justin, what kind of wine do you like? And I tell them, I like the wine, what I like. If you remember the 1980s, you remember Justin Wilson. You, yes, you will remember Justin Wilson. Then wow. if you don't remember him, you remember me talking like him. Because that's what I do, if you will. And all of a sudden, now I'm Dusty Rhodes. So, yes. Uh, <laughs> as... As far as a meatloaf rating, we will just say that political power, Mitt Romney, uh, that this comic's constant companions will be a number below three. So two and a half. Leave it at that. Two, one. Um, it is it is a funny read, so I'm gonna give it two and a half. Okay. But I'll give it two and a half in the same way that like Plan Nine gets a positive rating. Ah, okay. Mm. All right. Thank you very much, Rodrigo. Now let's swing it back over to the Marvel ballpark and talk Marvel about what dead, Deadpool or something. Is that what we're talking about? Ballpark, Franks. They explode when you cook them. What? Mm-mm. What are we talking Battle about? Deadpool Scar-ology Battle Scars from Marvelology Comics. This is Battle Scarology number three of Sixology. Um, and Battle Scars is an interesting book because they have been hanging lampshades all over this book and saying, This is the future of the Marvel Universe. If you're not reading this, you're going to miss something awesome, awesome, awesome. And what we've seen thus far is a young man named Marcus Johnson, apparently uh, a veteran of uh, the war in the thing comes back and is somehow being pursued by S.H.I.E.L.D. and supervillains, and he doesn't really understand why. Hmm. His mother is killed. Mm. Mercenaries are after him. Mm. Weird stuff's going on. Uh. And he looks a little like Samuel L. Jackson. 
Hmm. Write that down. It becomes important later. Samuel L. Jackson. The issue starts annoying me. When he whips out his wallet and it says bad mother effer on it? No, it starts with an explanation and a big flashback page of who the taskmaster is and why the, why the taskmaster is important. I'm down with that. I appreciate that. I like that kind of, you know, backstory, that kind of give me something so I know what's going on. So, you know, I have some some contacts to work with. But it's a freaking taskmaster. I mean, it's not like we're talking about the Texas Twister here. So we have this moment that explains who the taskmaster is. And then all of a sudden we get into really weird territory as Marcus Johnson tries to figure out with the help of his friend Cheese. Yeah, I have no comments for Cheese. Hey, Marcus Johnson tries to figure out with the help of his friend Cheese why people want to kill him. I'm bothered by the fact that halfway through the issue, he kind of has a Rambo freak out. And then we get to the point where he starts, you know, really investigating and ends up fighting what he thinks is the Taskmaster. Turns out it is not the Taskmaster at all. It's actually Slade, I mean, Wade Wilson, uh, Deadpool. And Deadpool played straight or at least as straight as deadpool can be is really really unnerving because mm. i'm used to reading deadpool in a comedy context uh -huh. and in this issue he just shows up and he starts trying to kill this guy and you know he johnson breaks his neck literally breaks his neck in combat and he's like he's done and he gets back up and then he stabs him right through the heart this guy is going for killing blows and deadpool gets back up Wow, And Deadpool's like, why'd you kill that old lady? And it, it really works. I mean, even though you know Deadpool has this wolverine -y healing factor, from the main character's perspective, this is his first real interaction with superhumanity, and it freaks him out. Deadpool's, you know, ripping his combat knife out of his own heart. And it's pretty impressive. And then, of course, it starts with Deadpool dialogue. He's like, I didn't kill that lady. She was my mom. Why'd you want to kill your mom? <laughs> Nice. So, you know, the issue, the fighty fighty makes up for a lot of sins. Taskmaster actually does put in an appearance. Amazingly, Marcus Johnson gets one over on the Taskmaster before he realizes he's about to be eaten by the Serpent Society. And we end with a, a big kind of an uh-oh moment and Taskmaster going no going back. But there are a few important panels in here that you have to take into account. There's a lot of discussion about why they killed his mother and what this means about his father. And at one point, he has the Taskmaster at gunpoint. Taskmaster's like, look, if you want to know what this is about, ask your dad. And Johnson is like, my father's dead. And Taskmaster's, I don't think your father even can die. Dun, dun, dun. Uh -oh. oh, no, Infinity Formula. But... The uh, the the uh, reason why Marcus Johnson is important is as of yet unrevealed, although there are some big theories out there. Uh, most of those theories having to do with the upcoming Avengers movie. Yes, Nick Fury. That's one of them I've heard. Well, the the implication seems to be that his father, who cannot die, may actually be Nick Fury, and this mm -hmm. may be their way to get a Samuel Jackson Fury character yeah. into the book. Seem forced Which, or does it honestly, seem natural? Well, it's the Marvel Universe. There's no such thing as natural in the Marvel Universe. There never has been. 
But at the very least, it's less tortured of a backflip than you might expect. Mm -hmm. And at the very least, it's not as offensive as that time that, you know, the Punisher uh, turned into a black man to hang out with Luke Cage in prison. So I, I, I think that if this is what that is, there's a lot of worse ways they could have gone. I mean, this is a pretty pretty average comic book with some slightly above average art the art reminds me of dale eaglesham in places which is a good thing because i love eaglesham's work overall the writing isn't you know super stellar but the the deadpool reveal was really really effective it's not a dialogue heavy issue there's a lot of what's going on and the the couple of art pages the last page reveal of the serpent society just like the deadpool thing really plays up their alien freakish superhuman nature and makes them look incredibly disturbing. So, you know, if you're if we're taking this as the perspective of that normal person suddenly thrust in the middle of the superhuman portion of the Marvel universe works yeah. really well. Cool. Three slices of meatloaf overall. All right. Uh Taskmaster is smarter than he's played in this issue in my mind though. Whim of the writer, right? Three writers Indeed. on this. Why do we have three writers on this? Let me ask you that. Well, you know how you have a writer? Yeah. And you sometimes have another writer? Well, I didn't know if this was broken into three different chapters or if it just really took three people no. to tell this story. Well, I don't know if it's three people to tell the story. I'm wondering if three writers isn't indicative of maybe we have to go through some plot gymnastics ah, and it took yeah, three yeah. people to figure out how Nick Fury turns into Samuel L. Jackson. Well, Matt Fraction is one of the, uh, what are they called over there at Marvel, the uh, Architects? Architects of Fear. Architects of Fear. Yeah, there yeah, you go. Architects of Fear. All right, everybody, you can head over to Majorspoilers.com and you can check out more reviews. Plenty of reviews over there, more than enough to keep you occupied as we go into this next week of uh, new comics. Cannot wait, even though it looks like this week is kind of slim pickings as far as uh, new comic releases <laughs> go. <laughs> That's my slim pickings <laughs> Uh, Dark Horse especially does not have a lot coming out this week. I think they've got like three trade paperback. Well, I guess they got Conan Road of Kings coming out. But the rest, I think, uh, oh, Mass Effect Invasion number four. Next week, though, they've got uh, Angel Faith, which should be good. Mm -hmm. Of course, all the number fives from DC Comics are out. I love Angel Faith with Lisa Bonet and Yeah, and yeah. Satan. I whip my hair movie. back and forth. Um, That's Willow Smith. <laughs> <laughs> Where the hell did that even come from? <laughs> because it's time. <laughs> it's time for me. To <laughs> when the conversation jumps so far that I don't even follow it, holy crap on a hat. It's time for the millions in attendance and the Silver Age heroes standing in the ring. It's time for the major spoilers poll of the week, 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 week. This week's poll of the week is somewhat appropriate because we've got the announcement of uh, <gasps> those six new books coming back from DC, one of them being Dial H from the old Dial H for Hero days. And, of course, uh, Robbie Reed is actually not the same character that they've had through the, what, 30, 40 years of Dial H uh, stories, Matthew? Yeah, he is. Is he? I thought they had a different well, uh, character in the, the like the eighties. Well, Robbie Reed was in the original Silver Age books, and then in the eighties, when it was Chris and Vicky, mm -hmm. Robbie Reed actually turned out to be the villain. Ah, 
mad with power v for villain oh did he and it turned him into a villain and he had to undial i believe the 90s series robbie reed also appeared and at one point there was a second dial in the hands of a guy who basically turned out to be a superpowered serial killer mm. or a serial powered super killer or a have killer you, serial super have you seen the killer. cover to the new dial h um, I don't know who it is. He's an older guy. Almost looks a little bit like a roided out. Um, crap! Now I forgot his name. Green Lantern guy with the bowl haircut. Um, guy Gardner. Guy, guy, guy Gardner. He kind of looks like that, um, but a little dumber. Gary and so guy I don't guys. know. I don't know who that is. Come on. We're never going to get Wizards of the Coast on the show now. Uh, so we've got in one corner. Robbie what? Reed, dial, dial H for hero. The interesting thing about uh, Robbie Reed's uh, little dial is he would punch in H-E-R-O or a bunch of different combinations, and he never knew what powers he was going to get. Right. But he always knew exactly who he was and what he could do at the moment he transformed. So one time he actually turned into Plastic Man, and he knew exactly what all his right. powers were. Okay, so yep, that's kind of important. One time he turned into Black Hawk, I believe. Although so I that's kind of important. Crap. He turns into somebody with powers and he knows instantly what his powers do. On the right. other hand, we have Ben Tennyson from the TV show Ben 10, uh, about a boy who acquires an alien watch that he dials in, slams it down, and he turns into an alien with a variety of different powers. I mean, you've got, uh, uh, I don't know, you've got uh, Humongousaur and you've got Stinkweed and you've got uh, a whole bunch. Stinkfly. There's also a stink fly. Forearms. Frappulons. There's some really Frap good ones. Some snake. of them, you know, some of those uh, uh, aliens dropped off, like at the end of like, season two or something. <laughs> you just never hear from them again. Duck Echo, Bill. Echo. Wrath uh, is another only one. only power is to be in MySpace photos. Um, as, he, uh, as the series progresses, and we've actually been given a look at the future of Ben 10, where he becomes Ben 10,000, he has the ability to turn into any of the 10,000 aliens in his DNA archive in the uh, Omnitrix or the Ultimatrix or whatever they're calling it in the future. And, uh, <laughs> the so Dominatrix. Can, yeah, the Dominatrix. He can call any of those up at will. So the question this week is, if Robbie Reed and Ben Tennyson were in a fight... Who would emerge victorious? Matthew, go. I think there's a misapprehension okay. in this poll of the week. And the, the misapprehension in this poll of the week is, can a character who is basically meant to be an homage to the earlier character beat that character? And the question is possibly sure, depending on who the writer is. But the winner is still the original character. I chose Robbie Reed because Ben 10 is clearly a Dial H archetype, a Dial H uh, riff, a Dial H homage, if you will. Mm. And as as awesome as Ben 10 is and as cool as the whole alien concept is, without Robbie Reed, you wouldn't have Ben Tennyson. Although I will say this, and I will say this for the record, Kevin Eleven is one of the single greatest supervillain names, probably the top ten supervillain <laughs> names of all time. Yeah. Kevin Eleven, is that not right? Awesome. Well, there's also another villain. Rock. What's his name? Slevin, Seven Slevin, or something like that. Who's a, like a bounty hunter on the show? Lucky I think he appears 11? in like season three. No, not Lucky. Yeah, he's, uh, he's played by Jeremy Bruce Piven. Willis. 
Um, Rodrigo, what about you? Plus, Robbie Reed never tried to make out with his cousin. Well, neither did Ben 10. I don't think Ben 10 did. There was some huge unresolved sexual tension there. But man, I tell you what. Uh, when ben, they show the the late teenage and and early twenty mm-hmm. uh, uh, Gwen ten, holy cow! You can feel the if we ever do a top if you if we ever kids. do the top five hot redheads, she's going to be on that list. There's a uh, what about the top five red hotheads? <laughs> there, there's there's something that uh, one of my professors really really tried to hammer into us, which is that whenever you have a man and a woman. If they're close in age, regardless of what the actual relationship is, if you see them on TV or in a movie, the audience assumes that there's sexual tension there. Mm. And it, unless you do something to dispel it, they will just continue feeling that. So, well, in, in this case, you then do that end may be up the with point a lot with... of like brother, sister and related duos where you're like, yeah. uh, right. why do they look like they want to jump each other? And maybe the they Wonder do, and maybe they don't. Yeah, the Wonder but... Twins, there was a great college humor bit yeah. uh, that pulled into this but rodrigo you may be yeah. right in that and that may be why when they jumped that six years ahead to the, when they were 16 and then later 18 uh why yeah. they had to bring kevin levin back yeah, in as to bring the kevin in to, to give someone to gwen yeah yep to give gwen a notice a, how rodrigo's uh, dodging the actual question no well, he's gonna say ben 10 because he's 12 <laughs> you got me you got me started on, on theory no no you're right you're absolutely right um Yes, I'm gonna go with that uh, that guy from Silverhawks who went like <laughs> and transformed into whatever he wanted. That that um, was actually, I think, the guy from the Herculoids. But yeah, the, the same guy. He got a lot of work in the '80s and '90s. Nice. He, he's um, also. I think he played the Shmoo for a while. It's it's a it's a difficult one to call because they're largely the same character. Um, I think that uh, Robbie Reed. Because I think his comic revolved around what new superhero he's going to be today has a larger catalog, mm-hmm. but Ben Ten's getting up there, um, with you know ten new aliens per season, right. basically. Right. Uh so eventually he'll catch up. I don't know. I mean, if if they got into a fight, it would really depend on. It would really come down to how, whether they can switch back. Mm-hmm. Or, and whether they actually have control over what they become because it right. could be over in a second if one of them turns into a guy made of energy and the other one turns into a guy who absorbs energy energy right. that, yep, that that fight is just done right there well um, and that's and that goes back to one of big crazy bruisers then they'll just beat up on each other until one of them until their uh magic egg timers clicks and says you can now transform into something else yeah mm-hmm it's yeah, kind of the... like uh, you're opening Pokemon. You know, right. you just hope that the other guy doesn't have something that will just crush it. Because if they do, they'll crush it on the first turn. Yeah. So Robbie never had I... control of what he could turn That's into. That's what I was going to ask. At one point, one point, Robbie actually, in his first uh, adventure, he turned into both the mole and the cometeer. Later, he accidentally turned into both at the same time as the mole cometeer. Mm. Yeah, but he, I mean... Robbie didn't necessarily have control, but he had one power that no one can defeat, and that power is basically symbology. He always seemed to have the right powers at the right time. Hmm. Which, and, which, and Ben really, does that too. Well, uh, which for me, 
the the reason why I think Robbie Reed would win is is those two is, is two things. One, he seems to always have the right power for the job. Whether whereas a lot of the time, especially in early episodes of Ben Ten, it's you know him learning that what he thinks is the right power for the job isn't necessarily. He wants to turn into something big, and instead he turns into something fast. Right? That's your typical early Ben Ten. Uh, monkey wrench right so but in a fight to the death with someone else who can transmogrify that would be a problem uh the other one is that robbie reed comes from the silver age of comics right right big time late late golden age of comics silver age 1965 something like that which means he is super powerful he is Mm -hmm. super duper powerful he is mega super duper powerful because there weren't constraints on characters' powers back then in comics. So he would win <laughs> because he would turn into God Man, who has the powers <laughs> of a god and also the powers of God. And the powers of a man. Yes. You know, early on in, in like the very first half season of, of the first Ben 10, every alien was new. So he had to learn what each of those aliens did. And then after he got the hang of what all their powers were, then they threw the monkey wrench in that his watch went wacko, and so he was never sure what he was dialing in. But now in later seasons, like uh, I forget what they're up to now, Alien Force or Ultimate Alien Force or whatever they're at now, he can pretty much I just say— I think it's say, actually uh, Ben 10 Jungle Fury. <laughs> he can now just dial in Echo Echo or Ultimate Wrath or Spider Monkey, and he can just dial those in and use them however he wants. Spider and because monkey. he can dial in— Oh, yeah, and you should see Ultimate Spider Monkey. That one's pretty cool. Spider Monkey is oh, this heard, little blue. I heard he was black. <laughs> uh, <laughs> <laughs> so Spider Monkey, Matthew is this little blue monkey with eight eyes that can squirt uh, spider webs out of his tail. Ultimate Spider Monkey is a gorilla with eight <laughs> spider legs, and he can open up his mouth kind of like the Flappy Monsters from Critical Hit and spray out uh, spider webs from there. No. He is not played by a Puerto Rican, so there. Uh, I went with Ben 10 only because Ben 10 has the ability to basically dial in which uh, power that he wants to be. And so I, that's that's why I said he would pick the right one to beat Robbie Reed with. And my vote goes to Ben 10. Some of the comments. Well, Some of the comments. Um, Mila says, I've always described Ben 10 as dial H for hero done right. And I will stand by that. And anyone who whines about how the sequel series suck because they're better than the original one and have better characterization can eat fist. I'm so sick of that crap. And major spoilers is literally the only place anyone has anything good to say about the later series. Uh, but, uh, Andrea says Ben can take on the X-Men and walk away smiling. Uh, Joe M says I went with Ben, but only I really wanted to vote. It depends on who's writing it. Uh, Zaxel Brack says Ben 10 mainly because I know who he is. Uh, another person, George W says, I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to go with Ben cause I don't know who Robbie is. Um, do, oh, uh, cryo man big. says, I think I'm too young for Robbie yet too old for Ben 10. So he voted for mega man. You should totally vote for Chris King. And slappy says I dialed H even though Ben 10 has the better picture. Here's here's what uh, what another poll of the week could be, uh, if if you're going with you know uh, you know uh, Ben Ten being kind of that modern version of Dial H, you should do mm-hmm. um, Mega Man versus the Highlander because basically they both have the same power, cutting off heads and living forever. Cutting like basically the Highlander cuts off a guy's head and gets all their knowledge and power. When Mega Man beats an enemy, he gets their powers. 
And Old Comic says, I'm going to annoy Matthew by saying I decline to vote since I don't know who any of these idiots are, neither do I care enough to look them up. Cynicism that's a, that's is never a, pretty. That's, that's a classy comment. Yes, it, yes, it is. Matthew, how did the Cynicism rest of the major spoilers populace vote? It's actually not too far apart. I'm showing 150 votes in, 149. Yeah. As I press the button to refresh, I suddenly realize that the entire world is going really slow <laughs> because Wikipedia has been blacked out. Yeah. <clears throat> it's basically one votes. Yeah. Go ahead. 40% Robbie Reed, 60% mm -hmm. Ben 10. And yeah. that's pretty much what I honestly expected. I mean, a lot of the people voting for Robbie Reed are probably voting based on the strength of the Dial H name and concept, mm -hmm. which. Right now is exactly what DC is kind of banking on since they're going to be bringing him back. But again, I, I in these I tend to vote for the original, even if the original is, you know, prototypical, which I think is the case here. And by no means is Ben 10 a terrible character. I actually I can sit and watch an episode of that thing, whereas like Symbionic Titan and some of that other stuff, I just I could not bring myself oh, to man. do it. You know, the, the interesting thing is when. And I know we're digressing a little bit. We need to get into some Usagi Yojimbo. Oh, what, what a shock. <laughs> but, you know, when Ben 10 first came out and my son started watching that, uh, I was like, oh, this is just kind of dumb. And we were only watching the episodes sporadically and we weren't watching them in any kind of order. And then when we got um, the seasons via iTunes, we started watching. I said, OK, if we're going to watch this, let's just watch this in order because they're referring back to some episodes that we haven't seen before. And when you watch all whatever six seasons or however many seasons that there are of, of Ben 10, suddenly you've got this huge, rich universe that's been developed. And when something happens in episode, you know, 392, that's referring back to episode five you get that connection and you really have a deeper understanding of what's going on. And the same way with Symbionic Titan, too. When you watch them all in order, it really develops a, a rich history, just like when you watch uh, your Power Rangers and they have 250 Red Rangers all uh, uh, ganging up on some Megazord somewhere. Uh, 35. You, you know why that that is an awesome <laughs> moment. up on a Megazord. <laughs> Was I even it, close it is literally like talking to my grandmother. <laughs> oh my was God! I... Did you hear they shot Jack Lemon? Was I even close on that one? <laughs> no. You, you, okay, I will give you. I will give you credit for the nomenclature, but the Power Rangers actually pilot. Never mind. <laughs> All right, everybody, we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we will talk some Usagi Yojimbo. Stick around. Hey, Major Spoilers, it's Russ Cat from Ottawa, Ontario, Canada calling. Uh, Happy New Year. And I just want to drop uh, a couple comments about Usagi Jimbo Book 6, Circles, uh, that you'll be reviewing this week. Um, first off, I've been reading uh, Usagi Jimbo since I was 18 years old, so um, well, for well over 12 years now. Um, and this book is absolutely amazing. Uh, for people who haven't read it, I recommend that you run, don't walk, and pick up this book. Um, the main plot itself, Circles, is a really interesting story that you don't need to know a heck of a lot about all the characters to enjoy. Uh, but if you want to continue reading Usagi, the characters and the conflicts introduced in here are far-reaching for about the next ten or so graphic novels. Um, it, it's really important. Um, but what's really amazing about this book isn't even the main story itself, but it is all of the little vignette stories that go around this book. 
Um, they are absolutely amazing, from uh, the tale of the duel uh, to Soggy re reuniting with his teacher. Um, all amazing stories, all plotted well. Um, it is a master to behold. Um, so thanks a lot for reviewing this, guys, and I look forward to hearing what you think about it. Bye. Gentlemen, John Lennon, Delaware, listening to the weekend show, and in regards to community involvement, I'd have to agree on most of your points. The customer, or the community, if you will, will no doubt have their own thoughts and ideas, and for the majority of them, they'll be downright hard. Uh, if there were any good at coming up with stuff like that, they would have been, be in the corporate station in the first place on, on these projects, and not just the consumer of it. But with that said, every now and again, a good idea will get pooped out, and a savvy business person is going to run with it. But as TLJ and MIB says, A-P-I-S-P-A-D, or a person is smart, people are dumb. Which is undoubtedly why my show suggestions for this show and the top five show have been totally ignored. Take it however you like, gentlemen. Hello, Makers Boys crew. This is Andreas. I just want to call and say that I'm super excited about hearing your opinion of Usaki Yendo number six this week. Uh, Usaki holds a special place in my heart since it was my gateway drug to reading comics in a foreign language. And with foreign language, of course, I mean English. But uh, really enjoy the show. I'm looking forward to hearing your opinion about the book. So keep up the good work. Thank you. Hello there, this is Slappy, and upon listening to what was just spoken by Matthew at the end of that uh, Dark Crystal podcast, not the original Dark Crystal podcast, but the second Dark Crystal podcast, which is before the third Dark Crystal podcast, which is not necessarily going to be related directly to the first, but neither of which is important at this time. But Mr. Peterson did mention in just speaking and just as he... Uh, vocalizes things throughout the show. He mentioned Captain Jack Harkness and Captain Jack Sparrow within the same breath, which I bought me. They are both knaves of different sorts. Neither of them are 100% exclusively trustworthy. So, that might be a possible poll of the week. Have a good day, gentlemen. Hey, Make Explosives, guys. This is Josh Kirtley from Central Ohio. I uh, often post uh, comments under Damascus. Um, I just wanted to call uh, for the first time here and let you guys know that uh, I love the show. I think you guys bring a great, great podcast out every single week. Uh, I've tried listening to other, you know, comic-related podcasts, and they just always feel either they're barely related to comics or there's just no format that you can follow, and it's, it just runs off the rails within minutes. Uh, I, can't, I can't do it. I've tried, and I can't do it. So I'm glad I always have one top-notch show to go back to week after week. Um, I just wanted to uh, throw a couple little things out there. If people haven't seen the uh, TV show, it's on Netflix now called Black Books. It might be uh, something everyone might be interested in if you like British comedies. It uh, stars Dylan Moran, the same guy who was in Shaun of the Dead uh, as uh, the guy who was in love with uh, Simon Pegg's girlfriend throughout the movie. Um, it's a hilarious show. It's got tons of little cameos in there, like Martin Freeman... Simon Pegg, Nick Frost, uh, the girl that was in uh, Space within the main, uh, one of the main stars there. Uh, super funny show. Uh, it's one of those series, six episodes per season, but there's three seasons worth there. Uh, definitely worth watching. 
Um, he's also in another movie that's on Netflix as well called a movie with or a film with me in it. Uh, I definitely recommend that one too if anyone likes that style of humor. Um, I was gonna call or uh, leave a message and tell you guys to review uh, Savior 28, but flipped over the back of my uh, trade paperback and right there's a little review from you guys already on it, so that was kind of cool. Um, anyway, thanks for uh, bringing the excellent comic book news and reviews every week, and uh, hopefully there's more for 2012. Thanks. Bye. Hey, um, my name's Mitch, a long-time listener, first-time caller, and before anybody says it after the fact, yes, I am a guy, for apparently on the phone I sound like a girl. But anyway, I was just calling to see what you, what your take on the new Ninja Turtles run by IDW. I've been reading for five issues, and I find it a little, I find it interesting as it's kind of more of a dark, dark, grittier take on Turtles since I used to just watch the cartoon. And the other thing is I wanted to just tell Steven that the PlayStation Vita, it is the new Sony handheld, and why it's better than the PSP is it has a bigger launch library, and the graphics are kind of equal to the early PlayStation 3 games. And also before I go, I do have to say this, Thank you, everyone, for calling in this week. We certainly appreciate it. And if you'd like to be part of the conversation, all you need to do is call the Major Spoilers Hotline. Matthew, that number is... 785-727-1939. The Major Spoilers Megazord. Deja vu. (laughs) (laughs) Exploding putties, always Some jokes are just for me. (laughs) (laughs) All right, so this week... We are taking a look at uh, Stan Sakai's Yusagi Ojimbo. Uh, we're not starting at the beginning, something that Matthew has said that we don't always have to start at the beginning. Sometimes it's good to start in the middle somewhere. This was actually a suggestion from one of our major spoilerites who suggested that Circles was the best collection of Yusagi Ojimbo stories. Um, and so we said, sure, let's check it out. Rodrigo, what is this uh, collection about? Okay, so this collection, uh, first off, Usagi Yojimbo is a samurai bunny. A rabbit. Yes, rabbit. Um, which is literally what his name means, as I understand yeah. it, is, you know, yep. Usagi rabbit, is rabbit bodyguard, bunny, basically. Yojimbo is uh, Akira Kurosawa's uh, personal trademark. Right. <laughs> um, so he is, in this uh, volume, he is returning home after his many, many adventures, because he wants to settle down back home. Um, And on his way there, he has several encounters. Eventually, he gets home, and it culminates with sort of his past catching up to him at home and and kind of bringing bringing some grief to the the people that he loves. Um, The first story that we see is called The Bridge, um, which has him just kind of walking around or, or, or getting to a town by crossing a bridge, um, a lightning bolt or, or lightning crackles, and it startles him, and he swings a sword thing, and there was no, somebody there, doesn't see anybody, and then just keeps going. And eventually, we come to find out that that bridge is haunted by a demon and that Usagi cut off the demon's hand uh, when he thought that there was nothing there, and then the story just kind of develops from there. Yeah. Spooky I love ghouls at the bridge. Ooh, scary stuff, kids. It's a, a troll. It's a really good, I mean, it's a really good troll under the bridge story. And how, the you know, 
nothing can harm this bridge, nothing can destroy this bridge. And then when uh, right. our hero cuts off the arm, the troll mm-hmm. actually shows up and says, "Give me back my arm." Yeah. Well, it sneaks in as an old lady first, mm-hmm. and which I think was I, very I cool. I love. I love what Sakai does because it always flashes me back to the 80s black and white comics like Critters where this story is played completely straight. Yep. This is played as a period piece in feudal Japan or, you know, a a feudal Asian area. But the fact that the characters are all bunnies and and tigers and puppies is never referenced and never important. No, they don't. There's no like puns like, "Hey there, samurai, you want a carrot?" or you know anything yeah, like right, that. Right, right, right. The the closest they come is people sometimes identify him. They don't know his name. They call him the long-eared one, mm-hmm. and it's played completely straight. It's very, it's cartoony, but it's incredibly dense and it's incredibly well oh, drawn. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The one thing I was going to ask: How many of you? This is the first time that you've read anything of of Usagi Yojimbo. Usagi Yojimbo. Matthew, for you, uh, first I, time? Oh, God, no. Okay. No, I'm a long-term... Well, I, I don't have a huge collection, but I actually read a whole bunch of it recently within the last two years, putting together a uh, a run of it out of our back issue bins for eBay. We got a pretty good price for it, too. Okay, what about you, Rodrigo? I've I've read stuff here and there. Yeah, I've just read a, an occasional they did, they short did some somewhere like a... Crossovers and- yeah, Turtles, free comic book day stories that may have appeared here and there, and a few, you know, few samplings that have appeared online. But this is the first time I've actually read, you know, the stories, uh, you know, in depth in an in depth story arc kind of way. And you're right, they do play everything very, very straight, even though everything's kind of cartoony. And uh, I've not also read very much Gru, but is Gru also played the same way? It's very silly kind of art but it's grew it grew is jokier grew has a lot more pun to it and grew has you know running gags and silliness where grew's dog for instance talks to the reader directly Mm, okay grew has a lot more humor to it but there's definitely a similarity in tone in that they'll take you know they'll take serious stories Mm -hmm. and they'll make those serious stories with the sergio aragones art but what's fascinating about this is how effective the scary sequence with, you know, oh, yeah, a rabbit like, yeah. sword fighting a cartoon demon is, you know, it's it's something where you understand grownups think uh, comic books are for kids. And you look at this and you're like, wow, this is really kind of cool stuff. Mm-hmm. I was reading it with my kid and we were reading and reading and she's like, did he just cut off her head? I'm like, no, honey, she's fine. Well, but, you know, that's kind of the, one of the things. There are some moments where you do see an arm getting lopped off or, you or you know, you do see something happen. But the then in the, in the next chapter called The Duel, where he's mm-hmm. into another village and he's basically taunted, oh. tricked into dueling with this other uh, samurai uh, as the town mm-hmm. wagers, when you see somebody die, you don't see the person, like, it's sliced in half you just all of a sudden see this little puff cloud with a skull yeah. inside of it and you know that that means the person has died that i teared up in that story where did you tear up because the part where the guy died or the, the part end. at the very very end where what we learn in this story end. of the duel is the uh the samurai and this uh betting guy go from town to town trying to sucker people in and Yep. To, to make a bunch of money. The, and the samurai, samurai has a wife a and kid. Right. Yeah. 
And he has a wife and a kid, and he goes and he's telling his wife, this is the last time, you know, we're going to get the big score. And he's basically this grifter, and he tells his wife to wait on the hill outside of town. And she's standing out there going, Daddy loves us, and playing with their kid. And mm -hmm. the baby is very, very happy playing with a butterfly. And, of course, this idiot goes, I mean, goes head to head, forces Usagi to duel him. And at first, Usagi is like, I, I'm not going to yeah, fight you with no a real honor, sword. there's no honor. There's no reason that I'll, we have to I'll fight, fight with a real I'll fight you with swords. a wooden sword. Right. And then he wins. The man dies. And the, the people start to cheer. And Usagi goes off on them. Mm -hmm. He's like, you're, you're all ghouls taking advantage of this poor man's death. I will never set foot in your horrible town again. And the issue ends with this woman and her baby sitting on the hill waiting for daddy to come as the sun goes down. And the last panel, it's dark, it's midnight, the baby's crying, and the woman is just lying on the ground sobbing because she knows what yeah. happened. Yeah, because the and husband just... said, I'm only going to be gone a few minutes. It'll, I'll be there in 30 minutes. Yeah. So, just yeah, that, was, that was a really kind of a powerful moment. And I think at that point, while I was reading through this, I was like, yeah, this is how you can tell effective storytelling and still have anthropomorphized yeah. animals and make it really, really work. Yeah. Uh -huh. yeah. You know, a, a, a bear and a dog tried to cheat a rabbit. The rabbit had to kill the dog, and it, it became an incredibly mm -hmm. emotional moment. And it, it had, like, three gut punches right. because you have the, the original gut punch of the guy. Well, in the initial thing, it's one of those one-stroke fights where they both mm -hmm. attack. Mm -hmm. And then Usagi kneels, and the guy turns around, and he's going to backstab him. And then he falls down and dies from the wound that he didn't even realize that Usagi gave him in the first pass. Yep, and that's one of those. So you get that you get that moment of God. Yeah, that's one of those where you expect, you know, in a very cartoony way that you would have seen them pass mm -hmm. each other, and then you would have seen the dog turn around, and then you would have seen him like fall in Split half. In two. Yeah, yeah, yeah. One of those yeah, like, like Star Wars moments. Scare. Yeah. Um, but, but yeah, a very effective apart. storytelling in that in that section. Uh, two other then chapters. You get the punch of you, no, go Usagi ahead. with the face. Yeah. Usagi with the face. He's like, how dare you? Mm -hmm. And, well, I mean, and then it's a cartoon funny. Well, but then you but see that the, the townsfolk, them. you know, they're, they act all terrified and they're like, oh my gosh, what have we done? We, you're right. You're right. And then as he turns his back and he's walking out of town, you see all the villagers looking at each other and giggling going, ah, ha, 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 we're rich. Ha, 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 ha. Kind of a situation. Yeah, we're it's rich. Just like, Did you wow, see? Wow. These people are terrible people. Yeah. They're greedy. Uh, there are two other chapters which are, to me, felt like throwaway chapters in this collection, but I suppose yeah. in a sequence that, you know, they belong. The first one is kind of a ghost tale, uh, Yuri, Yuri, um, Yuri, where just in happenstance, the character is just walking through a bunch of events and things mm -hmm. happen around him. Uh, it was interesting. It was kind of a, a kind of one of those Chinese ghost stories that you may have seen in, in one of the movies or read. Uh, the other one, chapter four, my lord's daughter, is uh, Usagi telling a tale about how he defeated hordes of uh, zombie monsters to rescue the the princess, which was really fun that when you one, think about it from a fight sequence perspective. Yeah. That one has the great upshot at the end, where this whole story of, of him, you know, doing this, and it, it really is more action-oriented and more, oh, oh, I have come to right. fight than anything right. else. And it turns out he's telling the story to entertain some kids. Right, while the woman of the house is is cooking him dinner. I, I yeah, will he's, say... He's basically engaging a couple of kids with a fun story. Right. I will say 
as cartoony as Stan Sakai's art is, as far as the characters go, when we see the Oni, wow, that's a great demon mm-hmm. that uh, that we've seen in other books as well. And I thought that was some really great. That was a really great panel when we saw that one. Um, Rodrigo, we finally get into the the big title of this this volume called Circles. And uh, give us a breakdown of what goes on when uh, Usagi uh, returns to his village. Right. So Usagi returns to his his uh, hometown, and actually, the first thing that happens is he reencounters his master, who he thought was dead, the mm-hmm. the man who invented the crazy, unique style that Usagi uses, um, and we get to see the story of how he survived. And also we get to see the story of, of what happened, you know, this rival school that basically got up all, all up in their grill. Um, and they ended up, uh, Usagi kills, I think the, the master of that school. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, he thinks that his master is dead and that's kind of what propels him out into the world to begin with. As, uh, if I remember correctly. Um, but, uh, we find out that his master is alive and he's been training other students. Uh, he gets to have that homecoming where his master is like, I'm proud of you, right. son, right. kind of thing. Right. Um, he's he's no longer the student. He is now an equal, and that's, that's nice for him. Um, after that, he actually arrives home and we get to see... Um, the, the girl that was his best girl has now married his rival and they have a son... Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, Usagi's past kind of comes to haunt them and then Usagi has to step in. Yeah. The son gets kidnapped by bandits and this, I don't know, what is he? Half demon guy, some guy who aspires to become a, a God yeah. that he needs to kill U- Usagi to, to do it. Mm-hmm. But the, the real hook you hear is. Uh, in this piece, spoiler warning, spoiler warning, the child that's kidnapped mm. is not the um, is not the son of his rival. It's actually his son. He learns that uh, yep. when he and his, and the girl had a role in the meadow before he went off to serve the uh, uh, the lord of the land, uh, she got pregnant, mm-hmm. and the rival married her anyway, and raised the kid uh-huh. as as his own son and accepted the the kid as his son. And and the guy knew it the entire time. And at one point, Usagi's ready to settle down after they've defeated the the villains. And she comes to him and says, I need you to go away. I want you to leave. Uh, You know, you're going to cause too much trouble, not only for me, but also for yourself and also for your son. And that's where she spills, spills everything and basically says, you can't be this kid's father because the man I married has been raising him like a son and is his father. Yep. Is his father. And the scene that plays out is incredible. Yeah. And there's one panel that just cements it for me where she's, he's like, how, how about And she says, remember our last picnic. Mm -hmm. And then there's a, just a silent panel of both of them looking away and blushing. Mm -hmm. And it's so incredible because right there, that's everything you need to know is that sequence where these two characters who happen to be bunnies. I think she's a bunny. I yeah. presume she's a bunny because they had yeah, a, she's a, a bunny. son. You know, the, these two cartoon bunnies in Japanese geese 
have this moment where it's, I mean, it's really meaningful, emotional stuff. And then she tells him he has to go. And so he becomes a wanderer again. Mm-hmm. The, the thing that, that the, the two pieces that you said were just filler stories were actually the stories that took place on his way home. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Home to his town. And these, these little things happened. So that was part of the journey. When he got home, his intention was, you know, I'm done wandering. I'm no longer in the Lord's mm-hmm. service. I'm, I'm going to, the service of my Lord, I guess I should say. It's an entirely different thing. But this, you know, the events of this last arc send him away. You know, you really can't go home again. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. It's, I mean, this is some heavy-duty powerful it really stuff is. here. It really is. And as he's leaving town, uh, the love interest tells him to take a certain path. And she'd also told her son, hey, go and wait on the path and, and Usagi will come through. And uh, Jitaro, I think, is the uh, kid's name. And Chitara, yes. uh, Usagi is actually able to have a no, father. Snarf. His son's name is Snarf. Yes. He's <laughs> able to have a father son conversation with this kid that he can't even say, hey, I'm your father. But he does offer some fatherly advice as best as he can. And it's a. A little happy moment until he says, okay, sun's going down. I've got to go home. See ya. And you got another sad panel of the sun setting and Usagi just sitting there brokenhearted. And that's how that that volume ends. Yeah, that's just, nah. I don't know if that's... There's I don't a know. lot of heartbreak in this. Yeah, issue. you know, and to be honest, Matthew, I'm, I'm wondering, and, and maybe from Rodrigo's perspective, certainly the part where the, the, the mother and the child lose their father and Hiro Usagi really loses his family uh, to an extent. Um, I, I don't know. Does that have as big an impact on you as maybe it does to Matthew and I who have families and children and, and those kinds of things? Well, I mean, there's... Uh, it, it, it does, and it... But probably not in the same way, you know. If if you if you're looking for that personal connection, I, I right. don't have kids, right? That, that know I know of. of. Yeah. Um. Yeah. But uh, someday I, you'll return home, and I wandered away from home. I don't live in the same town as my parents, and as 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 my sister and her kids. You know, uh, things every time, especially now that they're the, that my uh, sister's children are in the picture. Every time I return home, things are different. Right, things right. change drastically because the whole family accommodates, you know, the, the, the growing as these children grow. Um, and every time I get there, you know, there's two entirely different people waiting there for me because it's not the same interacting with, you know, a, 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 a three and one year old as it is interacting with that age, you know, both of those ages plus two. Right. So. You know, things at, at at home keep changing and I'm not there. Mm-hmm. So in a sense that that that's that's what I relate to uh, with this story. But this story is ancient uh, and 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 it gets played very well. You know, the the whole, um, you know, uh, being basically Usagi, you can see Usagi Yojimbo as a samurai. You can see him as a. Uh, salesman you can see him as an executive that is just never home mm-hmm. you know that thing where your job takes you away from your home and your home gets taken away from under you and you can't fault anybody involved you as the protagonist can't fault anybody involved for moving away from you you can't expect for 
to have your own life and then wait for your expect your old life to wait for you. Right. And Usagi realizes this when he gets home, and it's very sad for him, but he also understands that this is the way it has to be. So I will say that the person who recommended this, and I'm sorry I don't remember names, um, this was a great volume for me to to jump in and read. Loved oh, every yeah. minute of it. Devoured every page, every panel. Loved the art. Loved the black and white, you know, almost independent style that's going on here. Um, just loved every part of this. The question I have, Matthew, is if I go back and read book two, Samurai, or book four, The Dragon Below Conspiracy, or The Dragon Bellow Conspiracy, am I going to be just so disappointed that these are not as good as uh, Circles, or are they course, all just as good you, as Circles? That's how you do the universe. You are always disappointed by the next thing that comes down the pike. But that's just you. I don't no, know. I'm, I'm, I'm just wondering because, I mean, you've read all these. Are the other I've volumes, are the other stories just as good as, as the ones we've read in this collection? In my estimation, every one of the uh, Usagi issues that I've read has been pretty awesome. And, you know, we we made the reference to Gru. The similarities to Gru are in more than just the here's a character wandering around with a sword who may right. or may not have a comedic context. Right. These are actually, you know, long-term adventure stories. And mm -hmm. this particular story plays with all the tropes of, you know, the, the cowboy movie and the samurai movie and plays with everything that you can do with that, that samurai Jack wandering character who shows up and now he's Clint Eastwood a little bit. And now he's, you know, something else. The the one caveat that I have in this is if you are fooled by the art into thinking you're reading a kid's book, then I think that's the one way you might be disappointed. In fact, uh, there's there's one line in this issue that actually references Gru, where oh, he yeah. talks about fighting the, the cheese dip, the lover of cheese dip. That's oh, really? actually Gru. But I, I don't think you'll be disappointed if we pick up more of Sagi Ojimbo simply because, you know, it's it's that that uh, the Scott McCloud theory mm -hmm. where somebody is, you know, it's not about superheroes. It's not about what you're doing, what your tools are, whether the story's in color. It's what story you're telling, what, you know, what you do with the comic form. And Stan Sakai is really masterful in his use of the colors and the use of the gutters and his artistic stuff here. So if you, I mean, if you look at this and say, this is an adventure story played entirely straight with a rabbit for a main character, you can't go wrong. I don't think you'll be disappointed at all. Yeah, I really think if, if no one has picked up uh, any Yojimbo stories, I really think you should pick up this volume. This is book six out of Fanagraphics. I know Dark Horse is uh, printing them now. Uh, you can certainly get the volume that we're reading up on Amazon. Uh, I highly recommend this. I thought it was a great read. I thought the art was exceptional. Uh, you know, just a, a must-read recommendation for, for me. Rodrigo, what about you? Oh, totally. I think that um, if you like either uh, Samurai or Rabbits, you definitely need to pick this up. Um, and, you know, it's it's just a good story. I think it's it's classic without being tired. Is, mm -hmm. is probably the, the strongest thing that it has going for it is that what you see here are things that you may have seen before in other places, but the uh, the construction of it throughout the story is just fantastic. It is it is 
a classic story done in a masterful way. I think that anybody, uh, you should really do yourself a favor and, and pick up at least this volume of Usagi Yojimbo. But when you read this volume, you're going to want to read more. Yep, definitely. Matthew, I think you've kind of said everything, but is there anything else you want to add as we close out here? Go read it because it is awesome. All right, and that wraps it up for this issue. I also want to thank Comixology for being a sponsor of the Major Spoilers podcast. Uh, Comixology is the leading digital comics distributor. Check out the Comics by Comixology app at your nearest app store and read comics on your iPhone, your iPad, the Kindle Fire, Android device, or on the web. Buy once and read anywhere with Comixology. Thank you, everyone, for listening and being part of the Major Spoilers experience. Next week, we're going to be jumping into some more radical space superhero adventure stuff with the Infinity Gauntlet. Why? Because we know that you love comics, and we do too, and we will talk with you real soon. If you have any questions, comments, topic ideas for future shows, or would like to sponsor a show, send an email to podcast at Majorspoilers.com. Visit Majorspoilers at Majorspoilers.com, and be sure to check out the Major Spoilers forum. You can also follow Major Spoilers on Twitter at twitter.com slash Majorspoilers, and on MySpace at myspace.com slash Majorspoilers. Fat Dick's revision of Superman I could save a few bucks and stand around And read through the covers of the comics on the stand But although every other page would be backwards I suppose I could still read the evens and the odds Well I don't know Guess I haven't thought this all the way through Plus as soon as the comic book store guy knew They kicked my butt out on the corner What a major spoiler What a major spoiler Way. If I was hulking green or gray, I could just bust through that brick wall, take their comic books away. But then the little meat would deal with all the tanks and bombs and guns. Have you ever tried to read a series with all that going on? Guess I need to rethink this plan. How would I back and board my comics with such a chance? Guess I already told ya. What a major spoiler. What a major spoiler. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What a major spoiler What a major spoiler Start raving rich like a man of iron Might not be surprised to find That I might actually have the hard cold To follow an entire storyline Would I really even need To read upon all those escapades I mean, who needs such distractions When your sister's such a babe But the downside is such a beast Being shot up in a fun Being in the Middle East With a King Santo and soldier What a major spoiler What a major spoiler Yeah, yeah, yeah what a major spoiler, whoa, 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 what a major spoiler. Major Spoilers is copyright 2012.